Hello, everyone. And today we are joined by Murad Musakayev, producer at Tactile Games. And I just want to introduce Murad to you all. So Murad innovates and he's big on removing bottlenecks and improving the game development process for everyone involved. Murad has written 15 articles in the art of producing, and I'm very excited to cover today's topic and help create a playbook for producers in gaming. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, a Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Just a bit of an introduction to Evolution before we get started. If you're not aware who Evolution is, Evolution is a community-led IT and tech recruitment company. Me personally, I'm in the gaming team, so we have different teams, so we're quite tailored in what we do. And we only do freelance contract recruitment, so everything interim talent. Uh, so anything from QA to CTO is someone who does uh, that specific discipline, if that makes sense. And our mission is just to add as much value as we can to the com- gaming industry, whether that be through you know, consultants or podcasts and events like this, bringing people together. And if you want to hear more about that, we've done over 100 gaming podcasts, if you ever want to be involved in one or if you want to just chat feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions and Murad I would like to give it to you just a quick intro before we start thank you thank you for having me here and I already see like several tech titles in the chat so you can see the amazing support that we give to our people in this company and yeah so I'm Murad Sarasat I'm working in tech titles as a producer I've been here for a little bit more than two years and I've been in game development over five years working as a producer also doing business development and legal stuff because originally I graduated law and I was working as a lawyer, but then after five years I switched industries and went to game development because who don't love games? And I think it was the best choice I've ever made. And uh, after some years working uh, in a company with my uh, old friend, I decided that I need to grow and go to like a bigger company outside of my comfort zone in a different country with a different type of games. And I ended up in tactile, so they believed in me and here I am working at first on Penny and Flow, the casual mobile free much free puzzle game. It's uh, the games we call Saga games. It's like our portfolio uh, from all the times. So the games that we developed before Lily's Garden success and all those games until today because there are a lot of people who love them and I'm managing all those games and their life support. So that's what I do. Fantastic. I just want to double click on how you actually made the transition to games because a lot of people find that very daunting. I've spoke to a few people who found that process difficult or they reminisce about how it's kind of like a miracle or a complete accident. So like when you actually became a producer in tactile games, like how did that actually end up happening? This is an interesting story. And I think that like whenever you ask people about their background, the people who came to game development from like whatever they were doing before, it's always an interesting story because like sometimes it's something very crazy. Like I've been doing, I don't know, I've served in the police and now I'm a game developer, like doing code. I'm like, what? How could that happen? And it's a true story, by the way. But uh, in general, I think that people, like young people, like students nowadays, they're very lucky because there are a lot of universities that started to teach, like, specifically game development in terms of, like, code, in terms of game design, management. But when I started, like, it was not a thing. 
and uh, you had to educate yourself. So it's basically just about the passion. So if you really have a passion for the thing that you want to do, like for instance, working in games, then uh, you can build that knowledge by like a lot of resources that are at your feet in the internet. So just like reading some articles, books, going to webinars, maybe going to some profile conferences like game conferences, especially mobile game conferences, meeting people who are in the same role and asking them how they made up this path and how they uh, nailed the jobs in different cool companies that you really like. And of course, you need to like be aware of what's going on with the market so you can understand how this product is developed and you need to understand the product itself to understand the process of developing that product. And for me, uh, like I was working as a lawyer, but uh, at the same time, like I was working in federal court and uh, there was also some management involved into that. I have two uh, bachelor degrees. One of them is uh, law and one of them is global economy. And a part of management was also taught in the university. So like I knew the basics of that. But it was more like a waterfall, waterfall approach, so nothing close to Scrum or Lean. And then suddenly I discovered that, hey, you actually can make money working in games because like, it's been my hobby since, I don't know, age four. And uh, I didn't even think that it can be a job opportunity. But lucky enough, at that time, uh, my school friends started a game development company, like a really small one in my hometown, doing mobile games, like with just maybe 15 people. And they were looking for a lawyer. And I started to work as a lawyer there. So you need to come to a company doing what you think you know how to do. And then I also uh, was playing our games that we developed at that time. And I started to give like some advices about the product that I've seen in other competitive games or like uh, in something that is not even close to our genre, but something that will work from the product perspective. And he was like, that actually sounds good. Like, do you want to manage that game? And then I started managing one game, then another. And then like I ended up being producer across different games. And it's always great to start in small companies. Like I know that some people are afraid of joining small companies, but uh, it's actually a great opportunity because you have to wear different hats and you like have to learn different disciplines within the game development. And then when you come to a company like Tactile, you already understand like how this works in a bigger scale. Uh, but like that doesn't mean that you need to be scared of big companies as well, because uh, joining big company means joining a team of uh, a lot of professionals that are also passionate about what they do. And normally there will be a lot of people around who can transfer their knowledge to you. And it's just up for you to like be open and learn what the, the life will give you. So. No, I like that a lot. And I think it relates to like skill stacking. Like when you, even if you're not perfect at everything, having the skill of being in that situation where you were wearing many hats, like you took a bit about management, you know a bit about game design development, and you add all these things together when you are in a position where let's say you're just producing just producing like all that stuff really comes into play so uh and i really like that point like but it does like i mean that's the thing that google calls a t-shaped person so like a letter mm -hmm. t. so you have like a horizontal uh expertise in whatever is going in your company but a very deep understanding of one discipline so mm -hmm. for instance for me this is processes like i i think that I know a lot about processes, but I also know a little bit about game design, a little bit about UI, a little bit about how we do animations and so on. And sometimes it uh, involves like rolling up your sleeves and going in unity to see how something works, because otherwise you won't understand how to improve this process for your team. Because imagine developer coming to you and saying like, okay, so editor is super slow for us. And you're like, well, I guess that's a problem. I don't know what to do with that. 
and like you need to go and see like what exactly is happening, what is their experience, and how that can be improved. Actually, that is a bad example because like <laughs> editor speed is not always something that we can uh, affect, but there are a lot of smaller things uh, that people do just because they think it's the only way how that can be done. But there are always like some corners to cut or some things to improve. Corners to cut, I mean, in a good way, yeah. like uh, even like using shortcuts on your like computer in different apps, it's something that can speed you up, for example. Mm -hmm. And examples like this, they can be extrapolated on a bigger scale. So in the end, you like will save time for your team. And I think that's like the one of the things that drive me the most about this role is that you like work with people and save something, like save time for them, improve the quality of their work, and you see the effect right away. So it's not something that you like apply and then you wait like for months to see the results, like you see the feedback right away. And this is something that keeps you motivated. Yeah, especially if you love data, right? You can get that. Okay, that, that worked. Fantastic. But rather than, you know, if you're a traditional marketer and putting a billboard up, it's very hard to measure that. I feel like it's nice to have that instant feedback. Lovely. So let's get down to practical things. So like four keys to success. If you're becoming a gaming producer, like what are the four keys to success? I know you've written an article about this. That's why I phrased the question like this. I want you to ask you, what are these four keys and how do you actually go about improving them? It's funny that uh, you refer to that article because like, I wrote it and then I never go back to that. And uh, when we discussed these questions beforehand, I went to read that article and I'm like, oh, is that me wrote this? Well, this is the cool thing. And then in some other spots, I'm like, I disagree with that point. Hmm. So it's also how you store the knowledge and how you get back to that. But I still agree with all the self that uh, there are still four keys for me. I also can add on top what you should not do, but mm. let's keep that for a while. So regarding the four keys to success, so first of all, you need to be hungry for knowledge. This is the position where you will always be learning. And this is something that you won't be like just served. It's something that you need to uh, build for yourself. And uh, sometimes it's also up to you to decide what you need to learn because you need to identify where are your weak spots, where are the weak spots of your team, and try to learn more about that to improve yourself as a professional, maybe even as a person. And this involves all the combination of hard and soft skills, starting from like public speaking and improving communication, scheduling meetings, because apparently there is like a whole discipline of how you can schedule the meetings in the effective way. Because I mean, from the first thing that you think, it's like, it cannot be complicated, right? It's just like, I'm sending the invitation and that's it. But then you need to figure out like who should participate. You don't need to include people who don't need to be in the meeting. So you don't waste their time. You came up with agenda that will be like very on point. So people will prepare beforehand. So when you start the meeting, it won't be like, oh, so what we need to discuss today? Mm, maybe this. You already know what you're talking about. So it's like right on point. And then uh, the time, the duration of the meeting. So you need to make sure that it's not too long, not too short. So you cover all the points that you scheduled. But also it's not long for people to get like lost in that meeting or distracted with their devices or whatever. And there are different techniques, like for instance, one most known is probably like 20, 50 or 25, uh, 45 it also can be called. So you schedule not like an hour long meeting or 30 minutes long meeting, but like 25, 40, 45. So they will be like not back to back, but there will be like a time for people to brief between meetings. And actually like those five minutes, they don't really matter for the meeting duration like you still will fit in your time if you moderate the meeting properly and also moderating the meetings it's another thing 
So it's just a simple example how things that seems to be not too complex can actually be very deep. So be hungry for knowledge. That's the take number one. Take number two is be flexible about your plans. So producer job is a lot about planning. And if you take those plans like personally or like very seriously, it will be a lot of stress for you because plans, they always change. Sometimes because of the things that you can affect, like, oh yeah, I could have planned this better. I didn't expect this thing to happen. Like for instance, uh, I don't know, one of your developers is going on a two weeks vacation and you created a three week sprint and assign, I don't know, 10 tasks to the developer and then they on vacation. And you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Uh, so those are the things that you can like plan better for. But sometimes it's out of your control zone. Like something changes on the market. Like when Apple introduced uh, their new marketing system, like ATT deprecation, the most likely people were not aware that uh, this will affect uh, user acquisition that much. And like, it's something that's hard to plan for. And it's not something that you can affect. Like you cannot go to Apple and say, hey, can you please don't do that to us? Like we still need to send personalized things. And uh, I mean, you just need to adapt. And that flexibility, that uh, ability to adapt to things is something that you need to develop in yourself. And this is probably like the hardest thing that you need to develop because it's not just like a change of skills, it's a change of mindset. So it's uh, your ability to accept that the things will change. But from my own experience, it also really helps in life, like outside of work, because like there's a bad part of professional deformation and this is the good part. And you're like, okay, so my boss is not coming today because there are some work on the road. I would take the train, like, it's fine. You're not stressing out about that because this job is pretty stressful. And uh, if you can reduce stress on yourself and on your team as well, you need to do that. And then the third take would be uh, the moderator but also a team player, how I call that. That means that whenever you are participating in a team, you serve as facilitator in a lot of situations. So like uh, every step of the pipeline exists by itself, but there is producer who goes and makes sure that like the task is transitioned from one part to another, to another, that people are aligned uh, along the pipeline. So we are all working towards the same goal. We all understand why we are doing that. And that communication is something that you need to establish, make sure that it works and make sure that uh, it's transparent. But it doesn't mean that you are just like observing and facilitating it. You're also a part of this team. And if you're not, then people won't actually trust you. And you cannot just come to the team and say, okay, I'm your new producer, trust me now. Because trust is something that is earned, not something that is just established because you say so, it's not a statement. And uh, to earn that, like the easiest way, I think, is to be a part of the team, like for real. So not just like pretending to be, but actually participating in uh, whatever discussions you have. Like for instance, uh, you have a sprint planning and like there are also tasks that you assign for yourself. Like you establish some process, like for instance, stand-ups, where you daily repeat what you will be working on today and what you did yesterday. And then it's not just team talking about that and you run in the meeting like, okay, and now you talk, now you talk. Okay, thank you, everyone. But it's also about you talking about what you will be doing. Like for me, for instance, stand-up specifically, it's a difficult part because like half of the things that I announce on the stand-up might change because like half of my day depends on the ad hoc requests. Mm. But uh, that doesn't mean that I don't need to talk about that. And then next day I will say, okay, so it ended up being this thing instead of what I planned, 
But today I will try to focus on what I've planned yesterday. And that also shows the team like, oh, you are a human being for real. And uh, this helps. And this team spirit is something really important. Like I've been in several teams inside Tactile. I started with Penny and Flow, then I worked in the game board team, now working with this like Saga portfolio. And I think in all of those teams, we managed to establish like very good communication. Like I saw people, like I have a, a QA engineer who are working with me in game board team, like maybe almost a year ago. And he was like, oh, remember how we set up that process in the game board? That was so awesome. I'm like, it warms my heart to hear that. And uh, I think it really changes the game for people. And uh, last but not the least, I think uh, the producer, the good producer should know very deep. So it's like, it's still about learning and knowledge, but I even put it as a separate point because I think it's very important uh, that you need to learn different uh, management techniques slash approaches because there is no silver bullet that will be applied to all the teams, to all the projects. Like I personally believe that, for instance, Scrum, like it cannot be applied by the book because in every team, like people are different. Like for instance, I'm working with a team right now that is mostly remote. There is just one person sitting with me in the office and other people, they are like all over the world in Spain, Argentina, Poland, and uh, like some things that are like by the book, they won't work for them. So I need to come up with something, some setup that will be most efficient and uh, applicable to this team. And this is something that changes with every project, with every team that you work with. So you need to understand your team, as I said, which is a part of being that like inside that team. But also you need to know all the techniques that you can learn something about. So you will be able to use one of them. Like I'm a big fan of Batman and uh, like Batman has this belt with tools, right? And uh, whenever you like watch some animated cartoons from 90s, like he always has something new from that belt. He, like, is it like an infinite belt of things? But actually that how it feels when you know like several management techniques. So you're like, okay, so for this team, this will work. For this team, that will work. But at the same time, you shouldn't overdo it. Like it's still just a belt with tools. So it's not like he's like pulling up something from the backpack and then like it's uh, some yeah. gadget that is uh, uh, something that you need to, I don't know, bring like a huge box for that. Uh, what I mean is that uh, you need to be close to some standards that exist in your company or in your team because if it will be very different from the team to team, then switching will be not very lean because people will be lost when they're like, okay, it was completely different in my previous team. And people be like, it's the same company. Like, why is it just some different? continuity? Yes. So it's it's a balance. Like all things here should be balanced, and that is something that you should you will just learn by trying. Like it's not something that you will read about. You're like, oh, so that is the balance. It's just something that comes with practice, I think. But again, like maybe it's too late to say that uh, twenty minutes in the talk. But a disclaimer: I'm talking about my experience here. It's not like. This is applicable to everyone. This is the way you should do things. It's just how I'm doing things. I think it works. Like maybe you can correct me uh, in the comments and say that I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, but I think it works that way. And just the thing that I want to add on top, the thing that I think neither producer should have is uh, inflated ego. Oh, yeah. Producer and ego are two things that very rarely go together. Ego and humans, I think, rarely go together. Like I have, it's very few where it's useful. Yeah, I'm just saying that uh, like if you come to work as a producer and you expect like a lot of recognition, a lot of patting on the backs, 
this is probably not the best place to do that because like think about movie industry like you probably remember all those cool directors like james cameron steven spielberg but you don't know people who produce their movies mm. and the same with theater like you know actors on scene but uh, you don't know uh people who are behind the stage but the moment when you get your recognition is when you talk to your team because they know like your input and they value it so it's not like something that you will get from the outside but from the inside and that's another reason to stick to your team that's it <laughs> yeah i love it and all right let's move on to bottlenecks then so you mentioned bottlenecks in your writing but in general i think it's one of the most satisfying things i guess to fix as a producer so in your experience like what's the most common bottleneck you see how do you remove them yeah i would say that uh, the most common bottleneck is communication sometimes it doesn't look like that mm. but if you take it like three steps further then you will realize that okay the problem is communication again and most likely it's like something was not discussed or was not discussed publicly so not all the people aware about that something was assumed and it's like all goes to the communication like there is a cool technique uh which came from japan as all the best techniques are which is five y yeah and uh, it's like whenever a problem happens you need to ask why five times and uh, by asking like this why five like for instance we uh failed to release on time why because we didn't have enough assets uh, to include in the game so the scene was not completed why because the area artists were not aware that this thing was requested by game director why because communication and like if you go that deep then it ends with the communication like most of the times and as i said like this is one of the tips that you need to be very very aware of this like sometimes it even comes to almost ridiculous state where you serve like as a translator when you are sitting in the room with people in the meeting you hear them talking in the same language but you feel that they misunderstood each other and you like stop the discussion for a second like wait wait let's take a step back so what person a suggest is this did i understand you correct they're like no i was actually mean mean like i meant that thing and you're like okay that's good that we clarified that and like yes sometimes it doesn't happen right on point sometimes it happens later but it's important that we try to come up with the solution and that then we talk about that solution so like do some kind of retrospective so we learn from that because you would be surprised how different those communication things can be like sometimes it's something that was mentioned in a written form like in slack for instance and then it was lost or like technology failed us or i didn't exactly explain what i wanted or the task was sent to qa and when qa marked it in our task tracker as past testing i assumed that it's ready for the release but it was not because developer meant something different and they had like a special deal with QA that they will pass the testing then they will fix something else and send it for QA again so mm. we always need to make sure that at least the team that you are working with is aware of what is inside your head and like I keep saying to my team whenever we do one-on-ones like please complain no matter what happens like with your work like if you even think that maybe it doesn't big enough to complain still please tell me about that because if I don't know I won't be able to help and that applies to every other role on the team like if uh, our testers don't know about what developer meant here they won't able to test it properly so that's why we established a flow where when developer submits a task for testing 
they provide things that they change. Like, okay, I've changed this module, I've added this line of code, and it should affect this system. Please test the system that it works. And then it goes other way around when QA comes to developer and say, it didn't work. And if it's just that message, then it like in worst case scenario, it just makes the communication longer. Then developer goes back like, okay, so what was exactly wrong? And they like spend some time, waste some time talking about that. Like in worst case scenario, they will be like, okay, should I do something about it? I don't know, someone need to tell me if I should. So what we ask QA to do is to come back with a specific reproduction step. So what I did was this, and this is what the outcome. They like do the videos, they do some screenshots with like arrows marking the place where they clicked. Very transparent and like everyone is happy with that. I'm not saying it's ideal, like it's something that we keep iterating on and on and on until we hit something that works for everyone. And sometimes we also establish things like communication uh, channels that do not work. Like for instance, it's been a case several times when like I create some channel, let's say in November, and I'm like, okay, so in this channel, we'll discuss these things. And then we never do for yeah. whatever reasons, like because habits, it's there's hard. Sorry? I was going to say habits. It's hard to create those habits. Like you yes, you're used to speaking well, in a certain, certain way. But sometimes it's just maybe not the best solution. And then like after... Mm three, four months, you come in February to the channel, you see that the last message was in November, you're like, I probably will archive it. It doesn't really work. <laughs> or you try to like boost it somehow. But uh, that's like, it brings us back. Like, it, it, all the questions that you will ask probably will bring us back to those four tips. Like you need to find approach. So you need to know like different techniques to find approach to solve that. But getting back to original question, because I kind of sidetracked, communication is the thing. How to remove, like you need to, see how the communication works between departments. In my current team, uh, my product owner, uh, he came up with a perfect uh, way to measure it. Like he's a data scientist as well. So he's very data driven. And he came up with a KPI that we measure, which is like the manual labor we spend on doing something. So like we need to automate as much as we can. We need to make communication as clear as we can. Mm. And we actually like try to measure that right now. Like I'm going through different departments. I just sit with them like for several hours and talk about how their flow works. Like for instance, the communication flow. And then like I come up with suggestions on how to improve it. We talk about that as a team. So everyone is aware and they tell me if it works, if it doesn't, then we measure how much time we save. Like recently we did it with my QA department and we saved like three hours per sprint. Sprint is two weeks. So like three hours for two weeks which is a good thing, I think, like half an hour per week, you can watch a movie. <laughs> it adds up very quickly. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, so just moving swiftly on there, I wanted to highlight though that the assumptions definitely need to find them and get rid of them because they're a pain. Yes. Assumptions, uh, sometimes when you are silent because you think that this is not really important, like everything is important. Like over-communicating also can be an issue but we will let you know if yeah. that is the thing. It's usually under-communicating, that's the issue. But yeah, Most likely. Like, I've seen maybe like just two, three times when people were over-communicating, yeah. but it's very easy to solve and they adapt really fast. But teaching people and like creating, as you said, that habit to communicate more is something that we need to work on like everywhere. It's, it's a human being problem in general, not just like game development, I believe. Agreed. And I want to move on to the next question. So... It is on Scrum and Lean. So how does that fit in your actual day-to-day -day as a producer? Fits perfectly. <laughs> uh, so 
actually, like, I knew about Scrum when I joined Tactile. Like, we tried to do something Scrum-related in my previous company because of various reasons. It's, it was more like Agile Fall, as we call it, so something between Agile and Waterfall. Uh, so not very uh, Scrum or Lean. And, uh, like, I had some Scrum experience also before, and I was not aware about Lean at all before I joined Tactile. I've heard something about, uh, like, Toyota and how they uh, approached their uh, manufacturing. But then when I joined, like our CEO, he sent me a couple of books to read. And uh, I had like a month before joining Tactile. Oh, nice. So I dived deep into like that learning reading. And uh, it was something very, very interesting for me. Because Tactile is a company, like when I joined it, it was like 200 people. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I was already aware how things are done in various other companies, and I know that normally like the products that we have here, like Lilith Garden, for instance, it would be operated by a team which will be at least twice bigger. Mm. And I think that is already an indicator of how Lean fits in my day to day. But in general, we like keep saying that we are a Lean company, which means that we try to eliminate all non-value adding activities, which are like over-communicating, switching of context for developers, for instance, is a non-value-adding activity. Then uh, waiting time, overproducing, things like that. So we try to do just exact amount of things that we need in exact quality that we need and as fast as possible. And uh, like we try also to spread that knowledge across the teams. Like we had uh, a training with leads of the teams at some point, like a year ago. And recently we had another one with uh, new producers who just joined the team recently. So we like have, a, let's say, high level training of what Lean is. And we also provide some resources where you can learn more about that. And then they spread that knowledge to the teams. So when you come to the team as a producer and say, okay, and now we will try to make this team even leaner by doing this. Team is already like, aligned with what you're talking about it's not like okay can we take a step back and ask what lean is no like it's something that we try to talk about but again it's communication (laughs) but this is something that we base our philosophy on i think uh at least how i see it because uh this is one of things that for me really differs tactile from like other huge companies that i kind of know how to work Hmm. how how they function and I think this is an advantage. And uh, like sometimes uh, it's hard to establish because you need like to, as a producer, you need to do a bigger job by identifying all those non-value adding activities. So you need to like go through different departments, analyze what they are doing and what from like their routine is a non-value adding activity, what can be improved or cut. And uh, this is also something that we need to reiterate on every, let's say, year or like six months. Because as I said, team changes, market changes. We're working on live products, which are like living beings. They evolve all the time. And sometimes something that was perfectly working, like as just on point, like a year ago, is not as perfectly balanced as it used to be after a year. Not because people change or processes change, but because like whatever... Uh, the requirement from above is different or like requirement from the market is different because like even if you take like our game Lily's Garden like it changes all the time 
because like we need to uh, introduce new features that will be interesting for people. Then we need to introduce new content that will be interesting for people. And we do releases every week. Like, I don't know if you know a lot of companies that do releases. Most are two weeks. So, I mean, week is and, a lot. And every week is like, there is like a promise that we deliver every week is a new episode of story because it's a story-based game. The same for Penny and Flow. We release every week with story. And we also release new puzzle levels. Then there also might be features on top. Not every week, like maybe every two, three weeks, whatever. But those things, they're released every week. And to establish that and to make it in a lean way without overproducing or overstressing people, that is the game we play here by yeah. juggling all those things. I think you need, and like hearing you say that, like the fact that you actively go and try to find the non-value-adding activities, like that sounds like such a worthwhile activity in any company. And I think especially in games, and when you have that tall order of a weekly update, um, that sounds just like I think a value in that even like for your personal life like i don't know how it works for me like for, for you uh, other way around how it works for you <laughs> for me uh like the best time in my life is when i have so much tasks that i feel like i don't even have enough time to do everything at once and that's when you like sit down and try to optimize what you are doing like because the stakes are high and you yeah. need to like improve really fast you like Okay, so actually this can be deleted. Like this, I don't really need. And like this is also the time where procrastination is eliminated. You're like, yeah. okay, so don't have a choice. Today I will go home and watch YouTube for an hour, and then probably like I will have a one-hour dinner, and then like everything is burning in your life. You're like, okay, so now I like for instance, now I'm learning Spanish. So now I need to like dedicate an hour for my class, and then do homework. So I'm like, okay, so. YouTube is cut to 15 minutes, lunch is cut to 30 minutes, and actually, I didn't lose anything. Like, it's yeah. more life in my evening, right? I'm now. still okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So no. this is the time for you to optimize, in the same with your team. 100%. I think people would be surprised if they did that activity, like how much more time they would get, especially with the personal life. Like, you pretty much, most people have four hours of personal time a day. You can easily eat that up with a single Netflix episode. That's like a quarter of your personal life gone, technically. Um, Let's move on to the next question. So you mentioned you have a fully remote team. And I just want to ask, when it comes to communication, given it's so important, how do you like inspire that engagement, both on-site and off-site briefly? Like in terms of, because it's one of the most common things that comes up on our podcast, like when it comes to just inspiring engagement and like buy-in from the uh, talent into the project and the company. I think it is a combination of several rituals and also the team mindset. So first of all, what I do is, uh, again, like you need to be a part of the team, establish that trust. To reach that, I do one-on-ones with my team members. How often? And, hmm? How often do you do one-on-ones? Actually, not that often, maybe like once every six months. Okay. Because it actually takes a lot of time. And it's like, ideally, it should be done more often, but it can be served, uh, solved with leads. But there is like one thing I learned in tactile, which I will remember until... <laughs> my last base, I guess, it's uh, don't rely 100% on your lead. That doesn't mean that the lead is incapable of something or you don't trust your lead. But that means that you also need to get some information firsthand. Yeah, because you go direct. Yes. Uh, even if it's every six months. You cannot just uh, solve people's problems by hearing about those problems from another people. Like sometimes you need to go like to a place where the work is actually done and see how it is done. And that's why I do this one-on-ones. And 
like, I think it's also a good opportunity to know more about people. Like whenever a new person joins my team, we talk and like, I try to understand the aspiration of the person to see like where this is going. And also- Why is that important? Hmm? Why is that important? Well, because uh, of course you want motivated people on your team. And you can see right away that uh, like the person really needs this job because they love what they are doing or they need the job because it's like a transition period for them before they find something else. Mm. And uh, whenever you know what are the aspirations of uh, the person, you can help to boost the intrinsic motivation because yeah, there is a chart department who covers the extrinsic part, like all the perks and benefits and salaries and those things. But we are not doing this just for money, right? Like people join game development and not, let's say, banking for some specific reason. And then you need to find out what is your intrinsic motivation and how we can like light the spark in your heart. Because when people are passionate about what they are doing, they are more effective. Like they really care. And that's, for example, a reason why it's important for me to work on a project that you really like. Because like inside the company or like between companies, you join company or team normally because of the project. Then you stay for the people, but you don't know people right away, right? Like you cannot yeah. join company because of people. And uh, like here we try to establish like that communication will be value what you're interested in. So if for instance, let's say I have a developer who is uh, who was doing like uh, just maintenance for the games. And then she reached out and said like, yeah, I actually want to do something more uh, creative, like really write code, not just update things. And uh, like we considered her pretty junior developer, but she was very promising as well. And then I reached out to like another team, which gave her tasks once in a while that she will be like developing and like writing code, which is a great opportunity because the person gets at least a taste of what they think they want. And they also get a mentor from that another department, which will be like leading them. So that's why this is important. As, but that's like personal level. Then you also need to understand what people like outside of work, because like we are all human beings and like some people prefer something and they don't even know that that can be applied to their work. And sometimes it can. And if you will find a spot where these things can be combined, this will give you like a very loyal and inspired person and in terms of team like you need to make sure that all the voices are heard to do that besides just doing like sprints and always chasing some goals you always need to have some times to stop and look at what you've done which are like retrospectives for instance we also do post-mortems here like for instance penny and flow it's a, a as i said live game with stories and we release like episodes every week and they're like seasons so it's like a tv experience and uh for instance we are in season four right now, almost at the end. So tune in for Penny Apple. And uh, every season we do a post-mortem. And it's not like actually a post-mortem because the game is live, hopefully. <laughs> but it's more to just walk through all the steps that we've been during this season. And the difference from retrospective, for me at least, is that it's not just about processes or like how well or bad we did, but also about remembering some points, which sometimes is a like thing that we can learn from. And sometimes it's just a fun moment that we live together. And when you go through that, people like, you see, like they're smiling in that meeting and they're like also getting back in past, even if it was not like the happiest moment, they're like, okay, it's cool that we like are passed through that and hopefully it won't repeat again. And you're like, yeah. yes. And that's why, because now we know how to treat 
X. And uh, like when you just go through all those stories that you live together as a team, because there are a lot of things that go in undercover. Like for instance, uh, in Penny and Flow, we have a character. Uh, I won't tell which one, so it won't be a spoiler. But at some point, that character supposed to be transgender. Then we decided to like leave this topic for another season, which is season four right now. We have a transgender character there. But uh, that was planned for season two originally. And what is left in the final game, like in the live product, is just a small hint for that. Uh, and uh, if you don't know, you probably won't notice that. But we know. And that's like a best thing about working in game development is that uh, you go to get all those behind the scenes, all the director's cuts and all the things. And living those moments together is something that improve you as a team and inspire the engagement as well. And uh, also you need to make sure that uh, like once in a while you just check on team. So it shouldn't be like a meeting. It's just something that shows that you care, especially if you really care that because people are not dumb, like they can see right through your soul. And uh, like sometimes all it takes is just being honest with your team. Like I'm trying to spread information whenever I can, as soon as I can, whenever I know something about like change of the project uh, plan or like change of the priorities in the team. Like, okay, so here are the news. We'll be doing this because of that. And just when they are aligned, why we are doing things, even if they don't like them, but they understand where the decision is coming from, it helps them to side with the decision. And like, it's also a thing for me, like sometimes I like disagree with things we do in terms of production and like once in a while I had talks with our CEO and it really helps me to open my eyes. I'm like, ah, okay. So that's why I didn't like thought about that from that perspective. Yeah, it actually makes sense. Like I still a little disagree with that, but I understand it. Yeah. There's and some someone... context. There's yes, it, it's some assumptions that we might think actually context is very important. And uh, sometimes like even starting with smaller tasks and ending with the like yearly goals for the company, if you come to the team and say, okay, now we're doing this. Why? Because I said so. And I've seen that before as well. And like people like, okay, sure. Like, but they won't care because like, I don't understand what is going on. And uh, if people understand, then it improves the engagement and collaboration of the team. Yeah. I think the quality of the work as well, when you have that buy-in, right? And I think it's very important to have, if you have context, share it. And if there's updates happening. You just definitely. mentioned also on-site and off-site. So once in a while, we also have reunions. So when we gather together, mm. It can be something company-wide, like twice a, mo a year, like in summer and in winter, we have like a company-wide parties, which are huge and very yeah. impressive. And it's also a way to socialize. But sometimes it's like a just smaller thing. Like recently I went to Argentina and now our Argentinian team is here in Denmark. So it's just so they can not just work with us remotely, seeing all those same faces on the computer, but also seeing other people here, like walking around the office, seeing those people live. And like every time when you meet people who you're just seeing remote before is a new experience for you by itself. Like yeah, yeah. I'm not all you are. I, I exactly. don't even have idea for that. And yeah. like you might be taller or shorter than I expect. And this already like a thing to discuss. I'm going to Stockholm next week and I remember the first time I went to Stockholm there was some people who just because of the angle of the camera like you think they're tall and they're not and then the other people like you think they're like shorter than you and then they're like towering above you it's like it just unlocks something and I, I think it's if you have an off-site team if you can get together it's so important and I always recommend it and I wanted to just highlight one thing you mentioned because I think it was really important when you do the post-mortem or just like the recap of a season 
I think it's really cool that you do that all together. And it's actually a bit of an event, I guess, because I think humans remember very well with stories. And when you have a big story like that, I think you just cements that into people's memories of like things that went well, things that didn't go well, especially in that context, because there were situations that only certain teams actually felt the effects. But that context might be very useful in the future because then they do that in mind, like, oh, I don't want to do this because that might affect that issue. So I think there's so many benefits to that, even if they're not immediate or really noticeable. So I just wanted to highlight that. And great. So we're going to move to Q&A in a few minutes, but I just have a couple more questions. Uh, when it comes to that internal educational workshop. So you mentioned you started that. So I just wanted to hear a few of your thoughts there. Yeah, this is something I did in my previous company and this company as well. Like I've been joking, like there are two things that I do in, in different companies is the internal education initiative and like, uh, let's say fitness activity, like we do pull-ups. Nice. And we started that in Tactile recently. I'm like, okay, my job here is done. <laughs> uh, but uh, like when I came to Tactile in my team, there was some disconnection because of people not understanding what other people are doing. Like, for instance, if you asked writer two years ago, like, okay, so what marketing is about? You're like, I have no idea. Like, who are those people? Like, where are they sitting? Yeah. And originally that initiative with workshops started as uh, a platform like uh, where people can speak about what they are doing on a daily basis. So basically what you are doing with your uh, interviews and podcasts, but like in a very local way. Yeah. And originally it was not like about insights. It was more about like giving FYI. taste of what people are doing. Yes, FYI. And uh, like we did several of them with uh, area artists, character artists, data scientists, QA, uh, engineer and manual QA and uh, like marketing as well. I think we just didn't do developers actually because it's... Uh, no, actually we did. We did the shader. Uh, oh, nice. And there are like more than 20 something, I think by now. I used to do them every two weeks. Now I'm doing them once a month. And uh, now we have a very strong uh, talent and culture team who also want to support that. So something that started as like just my initiative and uh, just randomly like inviting people to do that uh, now will be like an official thing, I guess. And uh, I think internal knowledge sharing tactile is uh, an important goal for this year. And I see how much things are done in that regard. And that really makes me happy because I love when people are learning stuff. And uh, But it doesn't like limit you to the workshops. And my message here was that anyone can do it. And uh, it's not about like gathering people around, like giving a topic and sharing that knowledge with a huge audience. It can be just like inside one team. Like for instance, our uh, backend developers did that. Our UI designers did that like just for their team, like of five to 10 people and recorded that as well. And uh, like sometimes I just do Slack messages, uh, which start with like, header, did you know? And there are like some tips about what you can improve in your daily flow, which is also a part of knowledge sharing. And uh, recently, like I have a QA lead who is often very hesitant to share those tips. And then he asked me like, were you aware that you can do this? I'm like, what really? No, no. Like, uh, whoa, that's a killer feature. You should share. He's like, yeah, maybe. And recently he started to do that. And I like, was very happy. So now more and more people do that. And I think this is more about establishing this flow so everyone can share knowledge inside the company. It's great when you have like a dedicated department who does that on a professional level. But that doesn't stop you from sharing whatever you know with the team that this is relevant for. I think you need to align those incentives. And I think when you see everyone else doing it, you want to do it. But if you're the lone wolf and it's just Murad 
giving tips, everyone's like, okay, that's in his job description. But no, if it's everyone doing it, I think that makes it automatic. And yeah, it just, even if you would learn that organically after two years, why not just get, let's just share knowledge now, right? Let's just get it, let's just get it done. Uh, win because it helped me to learn more about the departments that I don't work with. Like when yeah, I don't work marketing at all. And it was like a chance for me to dive deep because like we do a preparation of the workshop, like they share slides with me beforehand, like with some of people who are not very confident with talking maybe or like not sure about the uh, information they share. We do like a rehearsal session mm. and like I provide some feedback. So it's definitely an experience by itself. So recommended to everyone. Fantastic. Um, just in terms of timing, Murad, um, right, sorry. Uh, when you do you have a hard finish in eight minutes, just thinking just for our Q&A. Yeah, I can speed up. Uh, so it is a hard finish. Just curious. <laughs> no, no. I mean, whatever you prefer. No, like, like I know that um, we have I think, just one question left, so we can just do that and do the Q. Yeah, I just want to go to the aspiring producers. So there's a few listening. So like, what's some practical advice before we move on to Q and A? Try to learn about the industry as much as you can, and the best way to do that, like for instance, for me, a great help was the Pocket Gamer site because they share the news, which is relevant for you, like right now. And they also have a huge backlog of YouTube videos with people talking about different disciplines. So just going through several of them will help you to understand what this industry is about. That's the one thing. Then put a couple of books. Like I won't recommend anything specific, but it's just like up to you, whatever you will find. Like, I mean, there are plenty of resources on the internet and uh, you can just start with articles. And if you feel that you're interested in this, then go deeper with books because books is like the easiest and cheapest way of learning. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Try to reach out to some people on LinkedIn who are in the same position that you're interested in, like producer or project manager or whatever, especially if they are from the company that you really like and try to like communicate with them, establish some connection. So build your network because like out of maybe 20 people, even if one will reply, that will be very useful. Like at some point I reached out to a guy and asked, uh, uh, like at that point he was working in Google, I think, and uh, asked him like what was his path and what he learned. And he sent me like, a really, really thorough list of things that he went through, which helped a lot. And this was also a perspective of different person, which is also important to know. So I would start with that. And as soon as you start actually doing things, then you will see what is your next step, because it's also important to be self-organized and self-driven on this job. 100%. And we're actually doing an event about fostering the future of gaming talent. So I will link it now, because that's tomorrow. Yeah, so we have a producer from Rovio and a product lead from Mag. So we're covering that very topic. So if anyone wants to have any advice on how to actually do re the reach outs, because there's different ways to do it. Actually, one more advice for aspiring producers. Check our careers page because we're looking for producers right now. Very lovely. Um, fantastic. So in terms of the Q&A, so everyone, if you haven't already had your questions, if we're not going to get to your questions today, please don't worry. We will get to them um, asynchronously. Murad will be so kind and lovely so i'm going to select a question now so in terms of being a producer i guess in the past year dimitri has a question what has changed your perspective as a producer in the past year well i would say in the past year it didn't change much but uh, like while being in tactile i think the biggest thing that changes your perspective is when you move from project to project because uh, like the deeper i go here the more diverse my team is. And it's very interesting to see how uh, people react on the same things in a different way just because they come from different backgrounds. Mm. 
And this is definitely an experience that helped me to shape myself as a better professional. I think uh, when you consider like, okay, so what is the perspective of that person? And it really teaches you how to like get in someone else's shoes and see things from their angle. Because sometimes you're like, okay, I don't understand why like uh, that guy is always late. And then like you talk to the guy and you try to like get on his place. You're like, ah, that's why. And then you try to come up like, with some solution for that that will fit all the parts. Like for instance, he just had uh, two kids, twins born and like he has sleepless nights and uh, he cannot like come that early, for, in, for example. Like it's a random example, not a real life example. Well, uh, but then you need to understand that. It's not like, okay, you're here to do your job. We don't care about anything that happens in your life. So I guess that is the thing that changes your perspective here all the time. But in general, like join such a huge company as Tecta, like my previous company was way smaller. Uh, changed my perspective also because of scale and because of the uh, level of responsibility you have here. Because unlike in a lot of other companies, in tactile producer is a very versatile role and you need to like always jump in different uh, discussions and different disciplines. So I can't pick one thing, like just being here and changing that perspective like once in a X period changes your perspective on a producer role in general, often, like frequently. Consistently. Lovely. Next question. Um, Brad. Brad has a question. How does the producer role differ between AAA and small indie studios? You kind of touched on it there. Uh, so less than 10 people. What advice can you provide specifically for indies? I cannot really compare with AAA. I never worked with AAA. So I just know from like words that people share with me. Like, uh, so like other people in the industry I know who work in AAA. But I won't bring that as an example, like a valid one, because I haven't lived through that. Mm -hmm. I can compare with like big mobile company and indie studio. And I would say like this question is something that I got like on different conferences. Like when do you know that indie studio requires a producer? Like if you don't know that you need one, probably you don't need one. Mm -hmm. And uh, like this separate producer role is probably something that makes sense whenever you like getting bigger. Because again, from my own experience, when we were a smaller company, when you are just like 10, 15 people, then this management role can be covered by other disciplines as like well. A lead developer type yeah, like lead developer, art director, and like, let's say, CEO or like founder or whoever. And all combined, you split that responsibility. So you don't need a dedicated person for that. Hmm. But when uh, the team grows and there are like more games and like more aspects of the game, like more teams, like feature team, live ops team, I don't know, another marketing team, like separate one, then you will need someone to take care of all those steps of the process. And then you will need a producer. But as long as you're a small team and you don't have that many complicated processes, like a tree of processes, you probably don't even need a producer. Mm. So like if you're thinking about getting a producer because everyone else has a producer, maybe that's not the best reason. Like it needs to hurt. With every, every role in the team, like if you want to have something just because everyone has something, Ask yourself again, why exactly? Like it should yeah. solve some problem and maybe it will even create more problems in small company because they will be like, what do I do now? Micromanagement, <laughs> over-processing and mm. this a non-value-adding activity. Ah, I love it. Um, lovely. Um, over to Yaniv. So I'm going to read this question here. So, hey, Murad, thank you for the talk. I have to zoom in here. Sorry about this. You mentioned you collaborate with a product owner in your team. From my understanding, the two roles, producer and product owner, share a lot of the responsibilities. How does this collaboration work? What benefits do you see from having both roles in a development team? Thanks for the question. And if it's actually a good one, it's also because uh, 
producer role is different between different companies. In some companies, producer is just project manager. In some companies, it's on another uh, like polar of this range. It's like something like game designer. And in tactile, when I started, we didn't have product owners at that point. So it was producers running the games and uh, the teams. And uh, it was a c combination, like a mix between a project manager and product manager. So we also had some decision about product, but we were also about processes. Right now, how it is, is on each project, we have product owner and producer, where producer is more about processes. Like I would say 85% of my time is about processes, but we still have a say about product. So we like work as a product team with the product owner and product owner is a dedicated person who cares just about the product quality. So which features we will add in the game? Why? What is the design of that feature? Like those kind of things. And uh, this, the benefit of this uh, collaboration is that you don't have to occupy yourself with too many things yeah. because like multitasking is a thing. Some people can do it, but the more different responsibilities you will have, the more high level you would be. So you will be able to cover some of the product uh, tasks and some of the processes. But if you focus on one thing and eliminate the other from your plate, then you will be like very deep in processes. And yeah, you still know something about product. You have say, which is great. And it's amazing if you have something to say, or if you can support your product owner, which for instance, the case on my team, like if, I don't know, I'm sick or dead, he can replace me for some time and vice versa. But uh, I think it was very beneficial to split that. And I really like how the collaboration and chemistry works in our team right now. So for me, it's definitely a way to dive deeper in the process, which I really like. But at the same time, I'm not losing the grip with the product, but it's just not as hard as it used to be. And there is a person uh, which vision I share and who like takes care of that product uh, development. So I love yeah. it. Um, do you have time for two more questions? I do. Lovely. Uh, moving on to Pavel. Hi, Murad. Murad, very much so sorry. Murad. Thanks for the talk. <laughs> Wanted to ask, how do you approach issues when teams start to get delays compared to the plan? So let's say the plan gets delayed. What happens? Well, uh, the plan is not just about time. It's also about the priority and the value that the thing will, uh, like the task will add to your product. So whenever someone falls behind the timeline, like let's just say for whatever, for whatever, whatever reasons, it doesn't really matter. Then you need to estimate like how to solve that. So there are two parts of the solution. The first one is you need to understand why this happened and make sure that this doesn't happen again. But it's not like something that you can fix right now. It already happened, like the time is gone, like you cannot refill that time. So the first thing, make sure that it doesn't happen again. The second thing is what we should do now. And there are ways to solve that. The first one is to empower the team to try to produce whatever was lost faster and catch up with time. Another thing is to reprioritize and get rid of some of the things that were like low priority or nice to haves, which you can live without and just focus on the main thing that you need to deliver in time. So that would be my approach because like the question is theoretical, you get the theoretical answer. <laughs> but if we will get like very specific on this topic, I can elaborate, but most likely that will be my approach. I love it. Lovely. Final question we have here uh, is from Robin. Hey, Murad, great talk. What is your view on balancing giving individual team members ownership of something and having them figure out the needed solutions out on their own versus at the same time staying on top of everything yourself? So I guess it's kind of giving them the task without the instructions or giving them the task and say, hey, I trust you, get it done. Thanks for the question. Like the fact that you're asking this question uh, 
indicates that you're aware that it should be a balance. And uh, I would say it's very important to give people that ownership of whatever they are doing because it also helps them to feel that they are valued, that they are trusted, that uh, they can like be the owner of their destiny, uh, which sounds like very dramatical, but it's actually something important for people because uh, you need to have say in what you're doing. Like if you're just doing what people told you to do, if you're always micromanaged and you don't have any creative freedom, then that's a problem. And most likely you won't like that. Uh, but given this ownership is also a part of learning experience. I think like the balance starts when uh, you don't give ownership over something that is very critical for the project. Like for instance, in my case, like I want to say, okay, and now you just estimate everything yourself and prioritize everything yourself and let's see how you will do because that is my responsibility. But uh, like setting the timeline, but letting developer define the way how to uh, solve the issue in that timeline together with their lead is something that can be this ownership slash creative freedom. So most uh, often what we do is like we shape a frame in which you can act the way you want. So for instance, you have like a time frame or some specific limitations in terms of tools that you can use, but within that time and with those tools, you can approach this task however you want, if you will be able to solve it. So again, probably that is the ownership balance that you should start with. Uh, I would say it's better maybe even to let people do mistakes than micromanaging them, because micromanagement is something that will hurt a lot of things at the same time, like motivation, trust, and the quality of the product as well, and your time. Uh, and people sometimes just need to like do mistakes, especially like for instance, when it's onboarding phase of a person and they just started, like you cannot be like their duckling mom forever. Hand on the mouse. Yes. That's this. Yeah. yeah, like you will have to let them go at some point and earlier is better. Sometimes it's just a matter of throwing them in deep water. So they will come to you with questions on how to solve that instead of telling them right away how you should solve that. That's how you learn, right? Because it also like shapes the way people think, the mindset, which is very important here. Lovely. Um, all right, all right, we're finished. Uh, I wanted to highlight a few things. So Alexandra, lovely TA at Tactile Games has put a link in the chat. And if you're listening to this on the podcast version, which will be coming out, uh, please just go to Tactile Games careers page. Loads of positions at the moment and just to highlight on the producer role. And yeah, right. I just want to thank you very much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this. And I think there's a lot of practical takeaways. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Now, my pleasure. Lovely. Thank you so much, everyone, for asking the questions. And yeah, we're actually making our very own Evolution Recruitment Gaming page, but that's where the future one. So we're going to have our own page where we just be the gaming podcast at the moment. We're merged with Evolution Nordics. So it's just an FYI for the future. So that should be for events happening from next week. Just a PSA there. Right. Thank you so much. And goodbye, everyone.